I, I wasn't here last week, and so I, I'm thankful for those who, who filled in, and I'm thankful for the, the opportunity the church gives me to take a few, few Sundays uh, off per year, which I appreciate. We were in Austin visiting my nephew for the first time, and it was, it was really fun. We had a cool experience, and I will say, though, that we really missed being here, we, and I genuinely mean that, and I know of preachers who don't mean that when they say that, so I won't name names. Um, you don't know any of them anyway, but I, I really do miss you guys when, when I'm not here, and I'm thinking about you as church is going on and, and praying for you uh, when, when we aren't here. So um, thank you for being a special place for, for me and, and my family. So we're starting a series uh, called, very simply, Change. And the reason for this series and what we are hoping for uh, as, as a church is that if you participate in our church regularly in 2020, that you would see some sort of positive change in your life. That you'd be able to say, you know what, I'm really thankful that I was in that church or participating in that church because, you know what, I, I changed this. Like, I worked on that. I was able in that year to, like, make some progress. And maybe you're going to be, like, a little bit more generous, a little bit less angry, whatever it is, that you would be able to say, you know, I actually am thankful that I was part of that because I don't want this to be a place where you just come, like, maybe regularly and you're coming, you're coming, it's like, eh, it's kind of cool, it's a nice place, you know, I like the worship, um, Brian's all right, whatever. I mean, like, that you would actually, like, be able to, to say, you know, I'm thankful that I'm part of that body of believers because I was able to make a change. And the question is, well, how do you even do that? Because it's really, really hard. It's really hard personally, but the same is true institutionally. There was a, a song released in the 1960s by The Who, um, which is a great rock song. Um, Won't be fooled again. Chen has, has it for me. Go ahead and just play it a little bit while I'm talking, not super loud if you can. Um, so you recognize this song probably if you hear, listen to any classic rock at all. And what's interesting about this song is the who recognized something that like change is actually hard, that those who are oppressed and at the bottom are those who are, are young. Yeah, Jim's got his light flashing and raising over there. Um, <laughs> That when, when, you're, when you're younger and you're not the one in charge or when you're the oppressed people, you go, well, you know, once I get in charge, then things are going to change, right? Like once I become older and oh, my parents are, didn't do this right or my grandparents or the people who are running this government, like they're not doing it right. But if I was in charge, then it would work. And so they do this song, which is an eight-minute jam. It's very, very long. And they basically say, we won't be fooled again because once the oppressed gets into power, once the, the next generation comes up, even though they've promised and they've said it's all going to be different, it's the same. And so the song ends with this chilling line. I'll let you try to finish it for me. Meet the old boss. Same as the new, as the, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. I think I might have messed that up, but it's meet the new boss, the same as, as the old boss. That this group, they promised, like, once we got in charge, it was going to be different. And it's really just all the same. Nothing has really changed. So as we think about institutionally, it's hard to bring about change, and then to maybe you have ideals about it before you take over, but then when you have that opportunity, it's hard to actually change. It's hard to actually make a resolution and stick to it. Odds say that if you made a New Year's resolution this year, 80% of us have failed already at this point of the year. It's difficult to change. What would it look like for you to make a positive change in your life? 
Here are, are some areas uh, in a book that I, I was reading as I was thinking about this series that the author offered. Um, Here's some areas that you might want to make a change in. Your relationship with others, your priorities in life, your attitude, your integrity, your mind, your body, your family. And if you don't have something that comes to mind in one of those areas, then you're probably not being honest. Maybe you need to spend a little bit more time in reflection. And so I challenge you this week, perhaps, to think about these areas and say, you know, what is it that I regret in one of these areas? What's something that I've done wrong? Who have I hurt? And then how might I be different? And so I encourage you to, maybe you need to spend some time reflecting. Maybe something comes to mind for you right away, and you're like, that is what I want to do in 2020. That's what I want to be a part of. That's what I'm going to try to think about as we go through this this series and think about how, how to change and make different things happen in our lives. Maybe you can think about that as, as you move forward in this next year. But if you don't have something that immediately comes to mind, just use this as a list. Spend some time in reflection and think about how you could make something different in this next year. Because we all know that change is hard. And when we actually like begin to take these steps, when we say, all right, you know, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make this happen. So often we just kind of go back to that stuff that made us comfortable in the first place. When you try to diet, it's like that 2 p.m. crash when you're hungry for that snack that you promised you wouldn't have, and you reach for that thing. My daughter was, was sick, and uh, our, our son Carter was being very sweet, and so he, he brought her several of her favorite stuffed animals. So here's, here's a picture of her uh, with, with all of her stuffed animals, um, and that's actually not all of her stuffed animals, because some of you continue to bring her some every week, so thank you for making our home into a zoo. Uh, but he, he brought her those, and I, I just thought it was very sweet of him uh, to do that, very sweet of him to, to think of her, and so she's just like grabbing on to those things. But I, I couldn't help but think as I saw this, like, there's going to be a day where she doesn't go to these for comfort anymore, right? Like when the panda and the giraffe, like they don't like comfort her in that way. Maybe, maybe she will somehow, but I, I think eventually she's going to do something else. I think about how there were things for me when I was a kid that I would go to. I had stuffed animals. I had a birdie called New Birdie, and then I got another. I lost that one, so I had New New Birdie. Like, I just kept, like, adding news to it. So I had them back back in the day uh, as well. And now, as I think about what I can go to for comfort, if I'm honest, it's not those lovies anymore, as we call them in our home. But for me, if I'm being vulnerable and honest, food is something that I struggle with that I can, at times of anxiety, just say, yeah, I'm just going to eat something, right? And try, try, and and then you eat it, and you're like, oh, that didn't really do it for me. So let me have another piece of cake or whatever. It's it's easy uh, for me. And so perhaps that's for you too. Sugar is an epidemic in our country. Here's a stat on that from U.S. Health Journal. You could, should try to limit your daily sugar intake to 25 grams for women, um, 38 grams for men, yet the average American consumes 71 grams, and some of us are above that. Uh, that translates into about 57 pounds of added sugar con- consumed each year. Just think about that. It's the amount, it's unbelievable when you think about it. And for some of you, you're like, oh, I've got that, that sugar craving down, and if you do, congratulations, you're better than most of us. Then let's talk about your phone, right? And we're all reaching for 
lovies of different kinds. And they look different. But what would it look like for you to say, I I need to get a little bit more to the root of this problem? Because an extra piece of cake or something else just isn't really solving the ache that's in my heart. And, you know, it helps me for a minute, but it doesn't necessarily solve the deeper issue. In Corinthians, Paul says this, We who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is, I think, a great vision for what it means to follow Christ with your life. That you'd be transformed into an ever-increasing glory. Because of the way that you're following Jesus with your life, you're, you're moving in a positive direction. You're, you're making changes. The, the way that, that you were at one time, like it's, just, it's not the same anymore. This would be such a great witness for us, wouldn't it? If we were among our neighbors and uh, at work, that they would say, hey, you know, you're, you're better than you were last year. You're a little less whatever, fill in the blank. It, it seems like, you know, you, you've made some, po- you're working in a positive direction. Something that I, I try to say often, and I hope this is something that I, I remember for. I was at a, a funeral of, of a minister um, a year ago, and as they were standing up talking about him in his life, they, someone mentioned, like, this is something that he would say often. So I hope, for me, this is something that someone might say. This is what Brian would say often. Hopefully my funeral is in a long time. But I hope that people would say something that I, I try to say regularly here, that uh, we are all sinners. And sometimes I think we do ourselves a disservice when we gather and, and remind ourselves of that and then go, yeah, we're all sinners. But God's hope for all of us is that we wouldn't be struggling with the same sin five years from now that we are right now. That we would be able to say, yes, I still am a sinner, but I've been able to work on that in my life. I still have sin in other areas of my life, but I've been able to to make some positive change. I've grown in that area. I don't struggle with that same thing anymore. I'm not in that same place. So may we all be able to look back on our lives and say, you know, I'm I'm thankful that I'm not in that space anymore. And it could be a habit or it could be a a behavior or maybe just, God, help me work on my resentment. Help me work on my bitterness. God, give me a a more forgiving heart. Give me a, a generous heart. Because ultimately, at some point, like, we got to do something about the words of Jesus and the words of Scripture, which call us to an ever-increasing glory. I can't help but think of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. And if you're looking for something to change in your life, that might be a good place to start because all of us are failing at something in those chapters. This is some unbelievable words of Jesus, some of the most impactful teachings. And I would say those, those teachings still change the world to this day. And at the end of his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, which is, is so beautiful, and it's like an awesome, uh, just incredible teaching, Jesus ends with something that we've made into a children's song, like the wise man built his house upon the rock, right? And the foolish man built his house upon the sand. So you probably, you know, the wise man built, and then like the foolish man built his house. If you grew up in church, you might have sung this song. And, and the rains came down, and the foolish man's house went what? Splat, right? So the, the, the house that is built on, on a firm foundation, like it's, it's going to be different. And when the rains come, that, that 
house doesn't go splat because it's not built on the sand. And we've made that into a song, I think partly so we don't have to really deal with it. Because what Jesus is, is saying is, all right, I've just taught you all this stuff. And I don't want you to just embroider this and put it in your bathroom. As nice as it is to like hang some of my quotes um, up there or, or retweet me. I don't, I don't want you to just, just do that, though that's great. And I hope that you do consider the words of Jesus important enough to, to like recognize in your life as important. But ultimately, like you have to put these into practice, guys. You can't just say, oh, that was really wonderful. Thank you, Pastor Jesus. Now, I'm going to go and just do whatever I want. Ultimately, Jesus is saying that if you are a wise person, you will find ways to put this teaching into practice. And if you are a foolish person, your life will someday go splat, right? If you don't pay some attention to this, and I'm calling all of you to actually put this into practice. That's what Jesus is saying. Grow in this area. We know that change is hard. It's difficult. It's hard for us to take those steps. It's hard for us to, to be honest and take self-assessment. I love what Richard Rohr says, is, says about this. He says, what the ego hates more than anything else is to change, even when the present situation is not working or is horrible. Instead, we do more of what doesn't work. And you know, this is true, that sometimes when the email system changes at work, and it actually is a better system, but everyone's angry for like three weeks and just to, to hold through the storm in, in 1992, Target was really struggling as a brand. It was lagging way behind. Uh, Walmart was, was way ahead. Kmart was ahead of Target. And then Target in 1992, among like a marketing team that came up with this plan uh, to revitalize the brand. And one thing they did was they started a grassroots campaign. Have you ever heard Target called Target before? They started a, a grassroots campaign for something that we have all heard. We, we now have, some of us have called Target Target to make it sound like a little bit more of an appealing brand. Like it's just like it's, it's, it sounds like a little bit more of an appealing brand. Uh, another thing that they did was they decided to. Instead of just, because the, the thought was to keep up with Walmart and Kmart, we just have to sell the same goods at the same prices, basically. Like, we have to um, put, put these things in and, like, just do the kind of exact same things, because that's what's successful. We have to do the exact same things that those brands are doing. And so they started with the, the Target campaign to make it sound a little bit better. And they also decided what we're going to do is actually just offer a little bit higher quality goods. So the prices are perhaps going to be a, a little bit more. But we're going to have like a, a better brand. We're going to have more distinct colors and stuff that isn't cheaply made. Is like what they what they ultimately uh, decided uh, to do. That was that was their plan, not to be as cheap as possible, but to up their game just a little bit. And Target survived. Kmart has actually declared bankruptcy twice since then, and is getting rid of more and more stores. And Walmart is still the king. Walmart's way ahead um, of, of everybody else, partly because they do have, they do have some good quality and, and cheap cheaper goods. But Target is is second in that um, field because they in 1992 said, "Okay, we're going to make a dramatic change," and not everybody agreed with that. But they said, "If we just keep trying to do the same thing and expecting different results, that's the definition of insanity." And at some point, we have to not try to out Walmart Walmart. At some point, we got to say, all right, what, what is our brand? What is it that we're going to do? How could we make a change that's going to make a difference? 
The poet W.H. Auden says this, We would rather be ruined than change. We would rather die in our dread than climb the, cross of the mo- climb the cross of the moment and let our illusions die. I think that's true, especially when it comes to something like anger. Like anger, when you're angry at somebody or frustrated in a situation, it sounds so tempting at first, right? Like when you are first angry and upset about something, it's easy for you to just kind of replay that in your mind. And even though you know it's not good for you, it's tempting to just stay in that space. It's tempting at times to just not change things that we know that we need to change that would be good perhaps for our health or good for our life. It's easy for us to just say, well, this is just how I am. This is just what this is. But at some point, we need to recognize that we have to make a change. When we think of addicts in, in our world today, generally our, our minds go straight to uh, alcohol and drugs. We think of those, those things as like addicts and those things. that Actually, it's amazing to see the transformation that can happen through recovery groups when people just raise their hand and say, no, I'm, I'm an addict and I struggle with this. But in reality, I think what we need to recognize is that we're all addicts. We're all addicted to something. And sometimes the profound change that happens in Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, what is so powerful about those groups is that those people simply recognize, I'm powerless. And they raise their hand. And transformation starts to happen. I think we all need the space at times to say, I'm, I'm addicted to something. And I'm powerless to change this without God doing some work in my life. I don't believe we are meant to manage our lives outside of relationship with God. We all can think, I'm pretty good at it, right? I don't know that I necessarily need God. Again, Richard Rohr says this, until you bottom out, there's no reason to switch to a higher octane of fuel. You'll not learn to draw on deeper sources until you're depleted. Until and unless there's a person, situation, event, conflict, or relationship that you cannot manage, you will never find the true manager. Self-made people try even harder to put themselves back in charge or in seeming control. Usually most people admire this, not realizing the unbending, proud personality that is the result. Eventually, this game is unsustainable unless you make all those who you love the most sustain it. I think that's a chilling final line. That oftentimes, it's those who we love the most who pay the price for us trying to just rely on ourselves. An American ideal is, you know, pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and keep, keep working hard. And just if you work harder and you keep just doing it, then eventually like you're going to find that success. But what it takes, I think, to truly recognize the things that we're powerless over is it's us saying like, I'm not God. There's certain things, there's certain cravings that I have. There's certain things that, that I need to just say, God, I'm just, I'm turning this over to you. God, I, I trust your power can work through me, that you only can change this. I love how C.S. Lewis says this. He says, no man knows how bad he is until he's tried very hard to be good. But I think 
all of us, if we were really to admit and be completely vulnerable, there's things in our lives that we would say, yeah, I just haven't really worked on that or addressed that because it was really hard. I tried it three years ago or something. It was really hard. So I'd just rather that it accept that it's there instead of doing the hard work to change it. And unfortunately, it's the people that we love the most who pay the price for that. It's the people who we spend the most time around. We just recognize that there are certain areas of our lives that we raise our hand and say, I'm, I'm an addict. I'm, I'm an addict. I'm, I'm struggling with this. And I think the, the word that, that Scripture would use to describe addiction is, is sin. That there's just stuff that we continue to miss the mark on that we need the power of God to work on in our lives. And does God forgive us every single week? Yes. Does God forgive us every single time? And yes, God totally does. But God's hope is that you wouldn't be like asking for forgiveness for the same thing five years from now. You wouldn't just continue to be in this space. When we think about confession, oftentimes we think of the, the way that it's done in a Catholic church where you go and, and talk to, to a priest, which I think actually is somewhat more helpful than the way that we think of it at, at times because oftentimes when it comes to confession for us, we just like pray to God and say, you know, God, you know, sorry I did it again. And God's like, I know. I watched. Like, work on it now. Like, let's, let's go. Do, do I forgive you for that? Yes, but let's, let's, let's go. Let's, let's work on this together. And actually, when confession is talked about in the New Testament, it's always in relation to telling it to somebody else. Though I think it can be powerful to pray and name those things to God. When it comes to like us actually confessing, it's us saying it to somebody else. Like, hey, like, I'm not perfect, basically. You know, I did this wrong, and I actually maybe confess something to you that I, I did against you. And we're going to talk about how scary that is and why that's so important in a few weeks. But it's critical that at the first step we just say, what things might we need to change? In what ways are we in a space where it's unmanageable? I love how Pastor Don Humphrey says this. He says, on the most basic level, is it really alcohol over which alcoholics are powerless, or is it food that compulsive eaters can't control? On one level, the answer is yes, but on another level, it's not. For example, a bottle of whiskey never poured itself down anyone's parched throat, nor did a chocolate cake ever drive itself from the bakery into the home of someone who's ready to eat it all. Though with some of the delivery services, perhaps you can make a case. The bottom line is, the alcoholic isn't powerless over alcohol. He's powerless over himself. The powerlessness is manifested in a bottle with alcohol, but we are all powerless. We all have things that we're powerless over. And sometimes we just need to raise our hand and say, I don't have control in this area. And that's okay, because you're not alone. All of us have different areas of our lives but sometimes we just choose the same old thing with the bitterness. And we choose, instead of like actually changing and moving in a positive direction, we choose to just stay in this space. 
So one of the backbones of, of this series as we think about change is an organization called Celebrate Recovery, which many churches have. And uh, in the Celebrate Recovery, it's, it's similar to a recovery group, but it's not just for one type of addiction. It's for anybody who, who struggles. And they have eight different principles. And the first one, which I based this, this sermon off of this morning, uh, is, is simply this. Should be up there? Is it, is it not? Oh, okay, it's not. All right, well, I, I don't have it actually written down. I thought that I'd put it up there, but I will send it out in my email this week. But it's basically just coming to the point that recognizing that our lives are unmanageable. You know, I've tried, oh, there you go. I, I thought I had that up there. So I realize I'm not God. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong things and that my life is unmanageable. And if you struggle to say that out loud, just know you're not alone in this room and know that you have company in scripture because Paul, who arguably is maybe the greatest Christian that ever lived, maybe outside of Jesus, I don't know if Jesus would have called himself a Christian, he says, as he writes to a church, he says, the exact thing that I don't want to do, I do. So this is Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament. He's a way better Christian than me. He says the exact thing that I want to avoid, I continue to walk into. So if you've felt that way before, you have company. Because I think it's the human condition. And it's important for us to sometimes just raise our hand and say, my life, this area, it's unmanageable. And God, I need your spirit and your presence. Let's talk about something like, like generosity, for example. Like when you think about money that, that you get, that you're, you're blessed to, to have because of the job that you have. I know that living in Los Angeles None of us have, like, enough money, right? We, we, all, we wish we had just, just a little bit more. And so I understand that it's hard to say, you know, like, with what I have, I, I want to be generous. I want to give to causes I believe in. I want to give to our, our church. I want to give. I want to be generous with what I have. I want to be the person when the check comes at the end of the meal, not, like, looking the other way, like, hoping someone else pays. I want to be a generous person. But it's hard, isn't it? to actually be that person? And what I would argue is that it takes a transformation that comes from God. One of the things that I love about our church is that we have people from different faith backgrounds and people from different traditions. We're truly a diverse community, which I really appreciate. And something that, that I've learned from some of our uh, Armenian sisters who are part of our church is that I need to preach about and talk about more the Holy Spirit. And Anna Eat reminds me of that almost every week. So thank you, Anna Eat, for continuing uh, to say that uh, to me because it truly is. It's the, the Holy Spirit's activity. We don't give that enough credit. One of the things that I, I try to, to say often also is one of the major problems with the Western world is that we don't think God can do anything, basically. And even those of us who come to church regularly, like we come week after week and we're like, all right, God, just checking in. Like, sorry, I did it again, um, but I'll see you next week, right? Same time, same place. And you go and then move on. And we don't often think about 
that God's spirit is living and active. That what we are doing when we come together is we are, are worshiping a living God who actually has the ability, if we will allow ourselves to, to be transformed, to do something on our Monday through Saturday. That God's spirit and presence isn't just with us for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. That God's spirit and presence is with us to continue to transform us throughout the week. And whatever it is in your life that you're like, God, I wish I was, whatever, fill in the blank, less angry, more generous. Whatever it is, God, I need you to do that to me. Because I'm powerless to make that change. I remember when... Mandy and I first started dating, and she was not super interested at the beginning, which might surprise you. But on our first date, I remember, uh, it also might surprise you, I didn't date a whole lot or wasn't um, too attractive or whatever to the other, <laughs> to other people. So I was like struggling to date. And so she was uh, one of just a handful of people that I dated in, in my life. And I remember like, you know, having something to do on a Friday night. I was super excited about it. Got dressed in my best coat or what I thought was my best coat. Mandy has since corrected me, but uh, I, I thought it was my best coat. And I remember, you know, get, getting, getting ready for that and, and being excited and having that, those butterflies in my stomach, but what can be dangerous about any relationship, and I, I strive not to ever forget this, my relationship with her, is that eventually you can just like take that person for granted. And what started as like, wow, I can't believe I get to go on a date with her, can eventually be just like, well, why hasn't he done the dishes, right? It like can eventually just, you can like take that person for granted and not recognize that this person is, is a great gift in your life. And it's unbelievable that that person actually chose to be with you. And I think the same is true for our relationship with God. Some of us who are around the church regularly and coming regularly, we can just take for granted all that God wants us to do. All the things that God sees in us. The things that sometimes we don't see. One of my friends was transitioning from one ministry to, to another, and he had this, this guy who would come up after, or he would come to him before church every single week, and he would um, grab him, and he would give him a kiss on the forehead. That's uh, very strange. Uh, and he would, he would grab him, and he would give him, give him a kiss on the forehead, and he said, like, I've, I've prayed for you this morning, and I give you this holy kiss, like, for, for this moment. And he thought it was super weird and very strange. But then he said that when he was transitioning to, to that other church, he had about a, a month as, as he knew that he was going to be leaving. And he said, you know what? Those kisses, I knew I was going to miss them at that point. And so it was still strange and a little bit weird. But I saw the things that were somewhat odd about this church and some of the things that were somewhat odd about this community. I, I saw that one day I was going to miss those things. Those things, though they were a little bit odd, eventually I'd see that it was just a place where people were trying to worship God together. And he said he actually, towards the end, as he was walking away, because one of the jobs of a minister is to think of the things that are, are wrong and try to fix those things and help us to try to expand our ministry. And he said, you know what? For that month, I think I finally saw that church, how God sees it. 
yeah, it's, it's not perfect. But they're trying their best to be transformed to the glory of God. May we have a deeper understanding of truly how God sees us. To see the things that are odd and imperfect. And just maybe you need to recognize that God sees you not just as you are, but that God has great dreams and hopes for your life. That God sees the ways that we are broken, looks at you and says, oh, I love you, you are, you are my child, but let's stop doing that so you can live into a greater potential. Relationship with God isn't just about going somewhere when you die. It's about being transformed more into the glory of God right here and now. It's about us being honest and vulnerable and saying, no, I'm I'm powerless in this area. I, I don't know what I would do. And God, maybe let me see myself how you see me for a minute so that I might be transformed. So as we begin this series, I hope over this week that you just think about some area of your life you want to see some change in. That you would raise your hand to maybe somebody around you. We'll talk about confession eventually, but for now, just that you would maybe just say to yourself that you would you write it down. If you want to email me something that you're working on, that would be great. But if there's someone else that you want to talk about, that'd be great too. But may we all say, you know, God, I, I want to work on this. And there's something that I'm powerless over that I need your presence and your spirit more fully. May I see myself more as you see me, and may I live more and more into that reality. May we not take the God that we worship for granted. May we move more and more in the direction of our Savior. Very simply, the word Jesus means the Lord saves. So it's not Brian saves or Lars saves, or Philip saves, or our elders save. When you even say the name of Jesus, you are declaring, I need a Savior. There's things about me that I need to continue to work on. I need the saving power of God. May we not take that for granted. Let's stand and and worship together. We're closing with a song called Cornerstone where we recognize that Jesus is is truly the Savior, the, the cornerstone, the foundation of our lives that won't be shaken.